Good morning, everyone. Welcome to worship. Before we go into our service, I'd like to invite you to follow with me on the back of your bulletin for a few announcements that we have. The first uh, is that we are receiving, the, the session met and received Lydia Edwards and Sam Suttle Jr. into communing membership of our church. So we are grateful to have them as part of our membership. And if you see them, be sure to say hello and welcome again. The youth are not meeting this evening. Uh, our summer Bible club for our children, uh, grades 6 and below, is meeting Wednesday at 11 a.m. If you'd like to bring your kids for that, if they haven't come at all up to this point, we would love to have them still for the last two weeks of that. And lastly, you'll see in the italics, uh, the fifth Sunday supper uh, for this month is going to be a fellowship and farewell day for uh, the Phillips family. Uh, You'll see instructions there, but we would love for you to join us uh, for a farewell time, and it's going to be uh, a good good time to be together and fellowship together as we pray for them uh, and say our goodbyes. That is all we have for announcements this morning. Uh, God brings us into worship by His Spirit uh, in the name of His Son, Jesus. So would you take a few moments to prepare Uh, your hearts as you uh, enter into worship with him. Stand for our call to worship. Our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 24, verses 1 through 6. A Psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas, and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Let us pray. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Lord, we are living in an angry, scared, and financially strapped, immoral society. Please help us as Christians claim 
with a renewed spirit that our comfort in life and death is that we are not our own, but belong body and soul to you, our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray that you would remind us continually that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is appropriate to any people. May this world know that our security, our future, and our life will come ultimately from your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God, give each of us strength to be salt and light in this world. May we be bold as we proclaim the Word of God. Bless our time of worship this morning. Please be with Matt in a very special way as he delivers your Word. Open our minds and hearts to your word also. Give us faith to believe, hope to persevere, and love to demonstrate the love of God. For in your Son's most precious name we pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We will now sing our hymn, uh, Rejoice Ye Pure in Heart, number 604.
At this time, we'll have our Confession of Faith, which comes from the Heidelberg Catechism. I will ask the question, and then the congregation will respond in the bold print. Question 103. What does God require in the Fourth Commandment? Please be seated. Before our time of prayer, I'd like to introduce our time of prayer with a couple passages of Scripture. First is reading from Exodus chapter 20, uh, looking at the fourth commandment, and then uh, one more passage to follow up on that. So we read in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. In Hebrews chapter 4, we read how when God's people entered the promised land, They were not given rest. And the author of Hebrews says, There remains remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So we learn in the New Testament that the Sabbath is both past, present, and future. God rested from his works on the seventh day. We rest in the finished work of Christ today, and we also look forward to that Sabbath rest in the day in which we finally rest from our works and enjoy the full presence of God. And so the prayer for us today is to, as, as our passage said, to strive to enter that rest, to strive to enter the Sabbath rest of God. So let's take a few moments in quiet and personal prayer to thank God for Jesus, for everything that he has done and accomplished for us and for your salvation, and to rejoice with God that one day all things will be made new through him and that we are justified and sanctified and we are awaiting this final Sabbath rest which God has promised us. And we can ask God to be with us in whatever it is that's on our hearts and our minds, to help us with our needs, with our requests, whatever it is. Let's go to God uh, with this on our mind in prayer. Let's take a few moments now and pray. Dear Father, we have begun the Sabbath day uh, in worship with you and for you. You've set the example for us and you've taught us 
that rest is good and in that it's a gift from you. And only you, Lord, the eternal, all-powerful God, could rest from your works without worry. In a world in which rest looks like weakness to many of us, and there is always so much that needs to be done, you command us to rest. Father, forgive us for our distrust and disbelief in this. Help us to set aside a day of rest according to your word for refreshment in your word and in worship, to be with our families, to enjoy your creation, and to testify that it is done, that the innocent Lamb of God has been slain once and for all sinners, who freely justifies everyone who comes to him by grace once and for all time. This is what we rest in, even as our world shifts and churns and works around us. God, we thank you for this blessing of Sabbath rest, and we ask that you would help us to build this out within our lives. Lord, we thank you especially uh, for several of the things that you're doing within this church. We thank you for protection during our uh, youth trips this past week at RYM and some other trips going on. We thank you for uh, these days where our young people are able to hear your word preached and are taught and enjoy fellowship with one another. We pray that your word would take root in the lives of our youth and our church and that our students would be lights in the darkness who can testify in their rest that you are God. Lord, as many of people in our church continue to travel now and over the next few weeks, we pray that you would be with them, protecting them. Lord, we thank you for Lydia and Sam. We pray you would bless their ministry in this church body. And we need them, and they need us. And you have given this church to us to minister to our needs and to give us gifts to minister to others. We pray, help us, Holy Spirit, today to worship and rest. Convince us of your love for sinners by the Spirit and your truth. We pray you would continue to be with us in worship this morning. We pray all of this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. We'll take a few moments now to um, receive tithes and offerings this morning. This is an opportunity to, to give as you have been given to by God, to respond to God's grace in giving. So if you are able, I invite you to give now.
Please join me in prayer. Lord, take what we have offered this morning and use it for your kingdom in ways um, that we could never expect. Lord, you are good to us, and so we offer these tithes and offerings as a way to worship. Lord, you are giving us hearts that grow more and more uh, joyful in giving, and we pray that that would continue to be so. Lord, as we uh, do this act of worship, would you bless this time as we continue to sing your praises, as you continue to be with us by your Spirit and speak to us through your Word. Thank you for this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stay standing, we'll continue worshiping together with hymn number 605, All the Way My Savior Leads Me. Let's continue worshiping together. You may be seated. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 2. Psalm 2. This summer, we're moving through different psalms, looking at different ways in which God communicates His grace to us, His love, and shows us in all the different ways, in all the different psalms, um, we see it's sort of a different angle on God's love for us. Let me pray for us before we read scripture, this scripture this morning. Lord, would you speak clearly to us? Would you use uh, the meditations of my heart? to bring glory to you, and to encourage us this morning. Lord, you are speaking to us, and we pray that your will would be done this morning uh, through Psalm 2. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read Psalm 2. This is God's Word, starting at verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together 
against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thousands of years have passed since this psalm was written, but so little has changed when we reflect on it. The kings of this world rage. The people's rage. The people's plot in vain to take down the one true king. I want us to see two things in this psalm this morning. And the first is that God pursues the people who hate him. And God helps us pursue the same people. So God pursues the people that hate him in love, and he helps his people do the same. So let's look at the first point as we move through this psalm. God pursues the people who hate him in love. This world is quite skilled at taking down leaders of nations, whether it be the president of the U.S. or the U.K. or wherever. There are seemingly endless plots and people who hate the kings and rulers of wherever they live. And we see in this just a sliver of the rage that is directed towards the one true king of this world, who is Jesus. One way in which we see this playing out, or I've seen this playing out, is in the conversation over faith and politics, one that's extremely complicated. When we saw the news of Roe being overturned in the courts in the U.S., many people blamed the Christian beliefs of the justices who had voted to overturn it. If you went on the public forums of our day, which is Twitter or Facebook or wherever, you would see the hatred pouring out against Christian beliefs and those who held to the Bible's teaching. The issue today is the same, very similar to the issue that was 2,500 years ago. The world thinks and feels that God is in fact their, their captor, their, that they are enslaved in some way to God, and that they would be better off without God in this world. It goes back to the Garden of Eden. When the serpent said to Eve, Does God really want what's best for you? The serpent said, I think you should break from God and eat from the tree that he told you not to eat. The teachings of God's word and God himself feel like oppression and slavery to those who don't know his love and his care. And we can all relate because in different times and different places, We all would rather do our own thing rather than God's because that is the way of sin. Christians are no stranger to this. God's word feels more like a straitjacket than it does the path towards righteousness and life. We often say to ourselves, Christians even, God didn't quite mean it like he says he does in this verse. He says he's, it's a little bit more complicated than that. There's a reason why there's a book series called What If Jesus Was Serious? Because we can't quite go to God's word and accept it for what, he, for what it is. 
and what he's saying to us clearly. The God we love is often the God we struggle against. And yet our psalm says God is pursuing not only his people in love, but he's pursuing those who hate him in love, his enemies, those who see him as a straitjacket or just an enemy to the good life or for flourishing in this world. Our psalm says, The kings set themselves against God. Meanwhile, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. People again and again throughout all ages believe they have what it takes to take God down. Yet God is confidently and clearly in control over all people in time. When we look at this verse that I just read, if we're not careful, we might see God's laughter as a kind of boasting that we might do as sinners. The church isn't called to laugh at our enemies or belittle the people who hate God as if we were saying we are better than they are. God isn't doing this. God is laughing at the efforts that are waged against him to unseat him. He, is, he isn't laughing at their suffering or viewing them as less deserving of life. God isn't laughing at their eternal destiny should they refuse him. God weeps over his enemies. We hear the words of Jesus say, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The point of this psalm in these verses is that God has a king in power who no one can take down. Their threats are empty. Verse 6 says, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. As we look at verses 7 through 12, we see how the king of the universe is pursuing his enemies in love. Read with me at verse 7. I will tell of the, the decree, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. This psalm refers to King David, and it's also pointing towards the Messiah. Messianic hope flows out of this psalm. Hebrews tells us that this decree is ultimately for Jesus. Not angels or earthly kings, but the true king. David couldn't have fulfilled the full extent of this decree. We learn in the Old Testament that the title son is the designation for Israel's kings because they ruled under God's authority. At Jesus' baptism, the voice of God declares, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. This is the coronation of the true king, the one who is eternally begotten of the father not made, but of the same essence, not the offspring of God, but the begotten of God, the eternally begotten of God, the eternal second person of the Trinity. Jesus, the Son of God, in agreement with the Father, before all time, came to earth and took on flesh to make the nations his possession. And Jesus' charge to his disciples is to bring the message of his salvation to the ends of the earth, to all the nations. We ourselves, of course, were called from the ends of the earth. God's people in the Old Testament, God says, were called from the ends of the earth. Isaiah 41 says, But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, 
You whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, You are my servant, I have chosen you and not cast you off. The people in this room, in this church, are a testimony of God's pursuit of his enemies, of the people who hate him. He is pursuing people from the ends of the earth. Three times in Revelation, the last book of the Bible, it quotes verse 9. And interestingly, the Greek translation of this passage translates the word break as rule. So we see God's ruling activity in the earth. The rod was a symbol of government. God's king is conquering ruling, breaking apart hearts of stone and implanting hearts of flesh. The king is doing this. For until God's king rules us, we are ruled by another. John says, the world, the flesh, and the devil. When we look at verses 10 to 12 of this psalm, we see how the enemies of God are offered their only hope. Read with me in verse 10. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is an invitation, it's not an ultimatum, it's an invitation from God to sinners. Every judgment in the Bible, every sermon preached by a prophet, every curse and warning is meant to bring sinners from the ends of the earth back into repentance and faith and life with God. There are, there's so much to to think about in this psalm, uh, so many verses that you could go back on and study. One I, one I want to focus on quickly is what it means for his wrath to be quickly kindled. What does it mean for God's wrath to be quickly kindled? We might ask the question of, I thought God was patient and slow to anger, so what's going on here? And uh, Derek Kinder is a commentator who I really enjoy reading from, and he said this. He said, the quick anger may sound like the touchiness of a crazy ruler or king, but the true comparison is with Christ, whose wrath, like his compassion, blazed up at wrongs which left his contemporaries unruffled. This fiery picture is needed alongside that of the one who is slow to anger. God's patience is not placidity, any more than his fierce anger is loss of control. When his moment comes for judgment, in any given case, it will be by definition beyond appeasing or postponing. So in other words, God is perfectly kindled by sin. Not like we are. I can get angry at the most minor of slights. This is not what we're seeing in our psalm. God is perfectly kindled in his wrath against sin. So God is pursuing the people who hate him, and he enables his people to pursue these same people through his King Jesus. Listen to Acts chapter 13. And this is so interesting, maybe not to you, but to me it is. Because I read the Bible a lot, and when I see a passage like this, uh, it amazes me that the people in the Bible use the Bible the same way we do, which is just, it's really cool to me. Listen to, to Acts chapter 13. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as it also is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. 
Through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is possible. We are freed from the judgment of God by the risen King Jesus. If we can, I want to circle back to verse 5, which says this in our psalm. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. The hill on which God set his king is the one the cross stood with Jesus' naked body hanging from it. The wrath and terrifying fury of God that we read here in verse 5 against all his enemies was poured out on his son 2,000 years ago in your place. The wrath and fury that God's enemies justly deserve has been absorbed and taken upon the shoulders of Jesus. This is why our psalm says, only in him will you find refuge. This isn't refuge from the world. This is refuge from God's wrath that you and I deserve for our sin. There is refuge from God in his son, Jesus. Jesus is the true and loving and gracious king of the universe. Now when God and his enemies, when God adopts his enemies into his family, when he adopts you and me into his family by grace through faith, he tells us to go and make disciples, to go and tell others about the true king of the, wor- of the world whose word and whose law brings life and freedom from spiritual oppression. God's law and his word is indeed can be seen as a straitjacket until you become until you come to know the God of life who is eternally wise and good. I'd like for you to listen to David who has come to know God and has come to know his law as good by the power of the spirit. He says this, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I might keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. This is the type of prayer that I pray you would have Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. Give me life in your ways, King Jesus. This is the life of those who have been adopted by God. Your rules are good. In your righteousness, give me life. God promises life. The world sees slavery and oppression. God says, I have life to give you. The nations plot and rage against God because they're deceived by the evil one. And I pray you would not be deceived this morning because our psalm says, Blessed are all who take refuge in Christ Jesus, who take refuge in the Son of God. You're not just blessed when you take refuge in Him. You're given a holy mission to pursue the same people that God is pursuing, those people who hate him and who hate his people. God is calling us to this impossible task, this impossible mission that he makes possible through his spirit. He brings the dead to life. He makes his enemies his friends. He gives us 
a new heart to see the beauty and the life in his laws and in his word. And he promises to one day make all things new in the new heavens and new earth. And so the psalm that we read this morning is calling us to submit to the king of the universe, to hear and read and receive the word as life to your soul, to love the people that you would least expect to follow Jesus. Your own repentance is no less a miracle and a supernatural work of God than your neighbor's. God can and will overcome even the most hardened of hearts to the ends of the earth. He can soften your heart, your spouse's heart, your friends, your coworkers, your mortal enemy. He can do this and he will do this. And he calls us to pursue these people by his Holy Spirit's power in love. This is our task. This is the great blessing in which God has given his people, and he will help us do it. Would you please pray with me? Father, you assured your son with these words, and we take them now as comfort for us. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not, I am the one who helps you. So we pray, Lord, would you help us to trust you? You're the one who helps us. Would you help us to begin to befriend and to love the people who hate us because they hate you? Help us to show them the beauty of your word, of you. Whether it's our children, our coworkers, our spouse, whoever it might be, help us to lead people from the ends of the earth to a relationship with you by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand in response to God's grace. We can sing together with hymn number 699, Like a River Glorious. Let's stand and sing hymn number 
Receive God's blessing as you go and respond with your amen. The Lord stands by you. May he strengthen you so that through you the message of the gospel might be fully proclaimed and all the world might hear it. May the Lord rescue you from every evil deed and bring you safely into his kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen.